Hello and welcome back to the Labyrinth. So today's episode is gonna we're gonna cover a broad range of things. Is is the is the plan? I'm excited for this one. Um, we're gonna be covering things from from cyberpunk to you know just basic philosophy and critical theory to possibly law of attraction and its relationship to the self and also its relationship to an embrace of the system. And trying to relate that all back to cyberpunk, the genre as well. Uh, yeah, I kind of want to give some con- some context of why I'm motivated to connect these things. Um, I was doing some research for a video I'm planning on cyberpunk and just planning some content in general on the genre of cyberpunk because I think cyberpunk's an interesting thing. It's like, I've been motivated to re-explore it uh, because of the popularity of the recent anime cyberpunk edge runners. And also that connects to the video game cyberpunk 2077. And I just, I do enjoy that genre and I do still think it provides important philosophy and important history in understanding our current state in society. Um, and also that's kind of just like an embrace this this podcast is like a re- I'm trying to re-embrace and re-get back to my roots of looking at culture, looking at film, books, uh, fiction through the lens of philosophy and culture and, and, and critical theory. Uh, you know, this also connects with my uh, more refound and newfound desire of writing fiction. I'm writing fiction now as well, and kind of exploring stories and narratives and psychology with that idea in mind. Uh, so that's where exploring these kind of more cultural and artistic themes, I think is important. Uh, but for a clarification on how this episode is going to work and how the podcast more works now, I want to add this clarify for, you know, returning listeners and also new listeners is this is, is in some sense, uh, my journal of exploring some of these ideas because, I find writing to be very important. Obviously, I'm I'm a writer, but it's you know you're very you're much more calculated in organizing your thoughts and building those connections of based on your like research and what you previously know, which is it's good in, in a lot of senses and clarity in some sense. But I think you kind of lose some of that creative aspect at times, and that's where I enjoy expressing it outwardly speaking. And I thought like, oh, I could just like you know leave this in my phone or I could use this as, you know, kind of just put it more publicly as like a more organized journal in some sense. Uh, and this is also motivated by Jacques Lacan's, he had a lot of his seminars, the psychoanalyst and, uh, very, I, I, I enjoy reading his stuff as well. Uh, but Jacques Lacan kind of used this method in his seminars. He enjoyed, uh, like he didn't like to write things down really. He liked to speak and use that format to better create his ideas so that it was more of an interaction with an audience. Uh, You know, obviously I don't have like a live audience, but like still in that sense of feeling my words and trying to imagine a listener in some sense, I think that's important. So to give you a little clarification, I want to just clarify that. Um, But yeah, so with that in mind though, it also means that this episode and these kind of episodes I'll have, there's going to be moments where I might misspeak, uh, but there's also going to be moments where I think I express things uh, a new way that I like better. So there's kind of that just give and take a little bit. Anyway, um, but yeah, so let's 
enough of this intro stuff. Let's get into it. Uh, as always, you can check out the links below to help support the show. And yeah, the Substack, check out the exclusive post, Dream Journal, uh, more exclusive thoughts, bonus episodes, all that good stuff. Or you can just read the free posts as well, some of my writing stuff. Um, yeah, the YouTube video. But yeah, as always, I appreciate you all for listening. I enjoy uh, the messages I get and all that good stuff. Um but yeah, also you can rate me on Spotify or Apple uh, Podcasts as well, or just share it with your friends or just continue listening. Um, I appreciate all of it. So, but yeah, let's dive in and let's uh, officially enter the... So I want to start today's episode with a quick kind of not, I don't want to do like a quick rundown of cyberpunk, but uh, more so a quick overview of how I'm like hoping to connect this, you know, like cyberpunk as a genre, you know, came up in the 1980s, Blade Runner really popularized the aesthetic that we see today with cyberpunk. You know, there, there was like a show altered carbon is another one. Altered carbon is another show that's very cyberpunky. Uh, but the aesthetic in cyber or in alter carbon, it looks like it just directly copied Blade Runner. You know, it just didn't really want to imagine anything new. You know, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, I think, changes things up. But still, that aesthetic of Blade Runner is still there. But it's still a very you know, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's like necessarily a bad thing. But there's now become a distinct aesthetic to cyberpunk. You know. And I think that's like the important thing I want to connect this with. So to what kind of motivated this connection to various like pers- like uh, uh, things I've been interested in lately is I was doing research on the cyberpunk genre and uh, one of the days I was listening to Plastic Pills, which is a very popular YouTuber who does uh, philosophy and critical theory and like through that cultural lens and he's a PhD and all this stuff. Uh, but yeah, I was, I was listening to him and he brought up like the law of attraction and this kind of like spirituality stuff in relationship to kind of postmodernism. And I would say also this connection with consumerism and consumption and production. And that's where I want to like kind of bring this in and combine some things. Because like, okay, so like the theorist Deleuze and Guattari, critical theorists, they talk about how, you know, our, our act of consumption within a system, you know, it, it acts as a, as a, as production, you know, a product within our system does not truly become a product in a sort of symbolic sense, unless it is consumed by the consumer right? You know, we as consumers are taking part in the production. You know, we are helping the production. And that is how the system that we have, the structures that we have, continually reproduce themselves while simultaneously evolving to consume the changes of the consumer or the desires, maybe is a better way to put it. I think a better way to put it would be to consume the desires of the consumer, you know, to keep the consumer consuming. And that would then uh, allow the consumer or keep the consumer producing 
to also, like I said, it's all like a connected thing reproducing the system, right? And, you know, I'm going to like bring that into how it connects with like maybe like the law of attraction and spirituality uh, a little bit later, but I want to bring that back to cyberpunk. So cyberpunk has become an aesthetic, you know, but in the beginning, in the 1980s, it was an act of rebellion. It, the, the theme of it was an act of rebellion. It was, you know, the cyber was this kind of technological innovations and the relationship technology was having with the self, with the individual, our idea of self and our relationship to the system, right? And, and the systems of control, I think as well, would be a way of phrasing it, right? And, you know, that's why in like the themes of cyberpunk, like the main protagonist in the story Beside, you know, you, so of course you have the theme of you have the neon lights, uh, the advertisements, the big billboards with those bright lights. Uh, the the it, like individuals have a very unique aesthetic and style to them uh, to to express their individuality, um, and, and also it's an expression of the, how they consume and what they consume. Right, there's kind of like the theme there, but it's also the theme of the story is often anti-authority. Uh, this act of rebellion, uh, kind of going, trying to go against the norm, trying to go against the status quo. I think that is a better way to put it. I think it's, I think it's a better way to put it than even saying that cyberpunk is anti-authority. I think it's more so anti-status quo, which kind of like spitballing about this, but I don't know if that would necessarily mean that's, I don't think to be anti-status quo is necessarily, it's not necessarily mean it doesn't necessarily mean to be anti-authority i think that's like a key uh clarification but i think an important thing to remember about cyberpunk is those stories the central protagonist often you know the story doesn't end well it's not really happy endings typically in cyberpunk um you know the the, the, the system ends up winning out but you still have those acts of rebellion that are looking to help change the system even in a small sense, but the system still consumes them and destroys them uh, because the, the system is what is going to consume even the rebellion. And I think that that is the important point about saying that cyberpunk has simply become an aesthetic is because the, the act of, of rebellion or the rebellious nomadic nature of cyberpunk has kind of been lost. It's it's the future that I was imagining, this dystopian future that I was imagining has gotten consumed by the system in the sense of now we just merely see it as an aesthetic and don't, I think, really connect with or analyze the message enough. You know, the message kind of goes over our, not goes over our head. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. But it's almost like we just already assume the message and it loses its meaning for us and its its influence on us. I think influence is the way to say it. It, it our influence on us. Uh, but I think that's kind of the sad reality of it is the aesthetic. It has become merely an aesthetic instead of a commentary or a philosophy or uh, yeah, more so like it has stopped being simply a philosophy because now we we what was once a point of the point being about 
going against the status quo and analyzing the problematic nature of the system and how technology influences us in our connection with the system and, and forcing us to submit to it and submit to problematic things such as, you know, consumerism, the effects that the consumption has in the environment, uh, the effects corporations have on our lives and how, you know, they, they consume, like, for example, like consuming our data to control us in some sense, you know, that act of the corporations like being corrupt and, and poisoning us or whatever, like, you know, there's often acts of like corporations, like poisoning the public, this, this income inequality, these common themes, and this very anti-capitalistic lens. But like I said, that message is, is kind of lost because now when we identify with cyberpunk, we say, oh no, like, oh, like this is cyberpunk because it does X, Y, and Z. But I think the important point is, is that the idea of punk foundationally, because like there's there's an idea of punk in, you know, like connecting it to the the rebellious nature of like punk rock, you know, punk is still at the foundation an act of rebellion against the status quo, right? So that means the status quo is always evolving and changing. Our current status quo is different than the 80s, right? So since the idea of the status quo is always evolving and changing, the idea of punk and the idea of cyberpunk should should also be always changing. It shouldn't be this like distinct identifier of what it is or what it should be, right? It should be always be changing to be always be able to evaluate uh, this current system we have in place. And I think that's really what I wanted to get into in, in expressing that reality, you know, um, because really when it, when it comes to that, then it becomes a, I don't want to phrase this because, and, and it's like not even necessarily a bad, like it's not a bad thing. To, I don't want to, like I, when I word it this way, I don't want it to seem as though I'm saying, that the aesthetic is bad. Cause like, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. I like, I enjoy the aesthetic of cyberpunk, but I don't want the message to be lost, you know? And, and I just want to, want it to be a reminder because I do think like, you know, like the, the, the foundation of what cyberpunk in the 1980s was, it's important. Like we need those commentaries on the system. We need the critiques of the system that is evaluating how the system influences us, influences our perception of ourselves, our perception of the world, uh, and how we act and how we desire things and what we desire and, and the influence it has, you know, the apparatus of the system in the influence on the self and how we relate to the external world that we interact with. And that affects how we develop relationships, our belief structures, all these things our sense of happiness, our sense of self-worth, our values. In these moments, these acts of rebellion, rebellious nature and critiques on the system, rebellious nature against the system is at the very least important as a messaging tool to force the system to evaluate itself. Because it, like those acts of rebellion are still connected with the system and you need those those structures to cause change within it still. And I think that is like, because to me that gets into this more 
kind of bring in a critical theory idea, this kind of rhizomatic nature and importance of cyberpunk. And this is kind of something I'm thinking of on the spot here, so I'm going to try to connect this as best I can. But like a rhizome is that idea of like the root, like the special root system. Because traditionally when we think of knowledge, like the typical way of people like to perceive knowledge is we like to think of it as like kind of like a tree, this hierarchical system that you work your way from the bottom, you get your way to the top, and you get this like pinnacle realizations of knowledge. But that's not necessarily how knowledge works. Uh, Knowledge is constantly flowing and moving and evolving. You know, our idea of truth is doing the same thing. Our background and where we came from and and our values and our systems of, of thinking and consciousness, I think is constantly doing this flowing uh, movement, you know, it's, it's one realization falls into another and then you're like opened up to a new realization and and a new perception and, and this con this constant connection and flowing. And that's where the, the rhizome comes into play is it's a root system that has no central core. It's constantly evolving in a more so unpredictable nature based on the influence it has. It still like gets influenced by its environment, but it evolves based on that environment, right? Um, and now I'm trying to... <laughs> this is this is kind of the part of this episode. Uh, trying to reconnect my thought of what I was talking about. So within the rhizome, in connection to the system, right? And evaluating the system and the importance of of having those acts of rebellion, it forces that evolving change because otherwise the system becomes too much of a hierarchy where it is allowed to suppress the individual. And and like I say all this and I'm saying it as though it's a given to people listening, I recognize that people listening will... There's a lot of people that might disagree with me. I want to acknowledge that now. I'm more so, maybe the the thing that I'm taking as a given for this episode is the problematic nature of our system. You know, uh, you know, we have growing income inequality, um, you know, and I also think of like this recent stat I've re- like re-found, I guess you could say. Over the last three decades, there has been a growing, there's been an increasing rate of bipolar disorder. And with bipolar disorder, I think people often relate it to, you know, the the cause, they, they want to relate the cause to putting, putting it on, putting it back on the individual, looking at it through this like internal world, internal lens and putting the blame there. And I'm going to relate this back to our conversation, I promise. Uh, but like, you know, and then they, they put them on some drugs, they put them on, you know, SSRIs and it's like, oh, they just have a chemical imbalance. You know, it's just another, another one of those cases. But like, I feel like we fail in psychology often to evaluate how the system is affecting the individual. And the structure of the system is affecting the individual as a whole, you know, their, their identity with their self, themselves in relationship to uh, the world and the system they operate in, right? And I think it's important to start using that more and evaluating that more because when we just 
put it when when we just use that language because language is very important. When we use the language of oh, it's just a chemical imbalance, it puts the the ownership back on the individual. When we should be taking more responsibility as a society in connection to that, as a fellow human, connection with your fellow human, to some responsibility in evaluating what if the system we have is affecting these individuals, and we can then critique the system. This is where these acts of rebellion become important. You know, saying things like this, you know, hoping for these for these moments of change, these moments of evaluation, hoping that the system will not simply just consume the desired change and then reproduce it, you know, in some, some half-assed sense. And I think this is where that spiritual law of attraction stuff is going to come into play in a, bit, a little bit later. It, it's, it's that reality of like recognizing the problematic system, you know, things like climate change, and, and, you know, things like I just mentioned with bipolar disorder, uh, the effects it has on the, the like individuals and what they desire. Um, yeah, just grow the growing disconnect, discontent, the growing divide, the, the problem of, of what people perceive as truthful and their trust in the structures as well, right? All of these things, these combination of things, play a role. But then, like when I'm talking about cyberpunk, when cyberpunk was this staple, this staple symbolism, mythos, myth, narrative, to remind us to rebel against a system in some sense, when we lose that to merely being an aesthetic, that the system then sells. You know, it's like, you buy the video game Cyberpunk 2077, you are buying it from a corporation that is reproducing this aesthetic and this this form of rebellion, you know? But it's still, I think, important to, to like recognize that that's what's gonna happen. Like we live in that system, but we still take the messaging as important and its influence on your sense of self and your identity and, and, uh, and under, and like in, in using that to evaluate of, of what we should do in the world, you know, and, and why that rebellion is important, you know, and that's where I want to kind of examine the political in relation to this, you know, with intent of, of seeing the political, as a system, as a whole, you know, it's not simply Republican and Democrat, you know, here in the U.S. I'm talking about not viewing political as that, you know, it's, it's more of a philosophical sense of political, you know, uh, it's, it's like the political is kind of the system. So like take, take your idea of evil, especially here in the West, we do this when an evil act is done. We like to create or look for an all-powerful evil dark lord that that is doing the act. So we then can pass blame, right? So we wish to protect from this, from this. I think the reason we do this here in the West is we wish to like pass blame. We wish to protect the concept of the individual. It's protection with the system, the concept of the individual, so that we can, you know, place the individual failure. We want to position that failure 
right? So when, when an evil act is done, like I was saying, we want to put blame on an individual. Like take, take the controversial issue of coronavirus, like the corona, the pandemic, right? Uh, everyone talked about Fauci. Like, I don't want to get into this. I don't want this to be a dividing part of this episode. I just, it's the example that came to mind, but everyone was hating on Fauci and his, his actions around the pandemic, right? Not a hot take. That was the popular narrative. And, and like I said, I'm not, I'm not saying my opinion one way or the other. I'm trying to create this episode to just simply express observations and hoping those observations unlock something for myself and hopefully maybe someone listening as well. Uh, but Fauci, he's an example. He, he became an identifiable, all-powerful all evil dark lord, part of the government, right? And to pass blame, to protect the concept of the individual, you know, and, and if someone perceives the pandemic as, as a failed, you know, a failed reaction or failed something that shows that the system failed, the system itself failed. When we simply look through the all powerful evil, dark, I'm not saying Fauci is an evil dark Lord. Just, this is just simply, I'm trying to use kind of like the narrative trope that I think connects with our culture, you know? So like the evil dark lord, like, oh, we're going to identify this guy. It's this guy's fault for why it's all fucked up. Or it's a small group of people's fault for why X thing is fucked up and bad. It's So then we can place an individual failure. Because when we place the individual failure, we can prevent ourselves from evaluating the system. Because when it's placed on the individual, it re-solidifies the system. It protects the system, Right. Because the individual no longer the individual that failed has to take responsibility. So even if we feel like we're being, it's a very kind of like gnostic that that uh, that uh, the 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 gnosticism, you know, that offshoot of Christianity, gnosticism, that believes in kind of this like this all powerful truth reality that is secretly like controlling things. It's so the individual failure protects the system we have in place. And, and, and that's where I want, like, that's my focus on this. And I hope this is making sense. It's making sense in my head. So I'm hoping, but I see that as a problem because when we can, when we create these easily identifiable individuals to blame for everything, we don't want to look at the system. But the reason we don't want to look at the system is because looking at the system is more difficult. And I think that is the, the, antithesis of what I'm trying to get at and the sadness I have that cyberpunk has somewhat turned into what it is and has failed to change maybe to the way that I simply would like. Uh, because right now cyberpunk is, it's, it's merely seen as an aesthetic. It's more of an identifiable, it becomes a, a identifiable myth, an individual that becomes a placeholder for things, right? Same with like the individual, uh, instead of evaluating the system. And the reason the system is harder to evaluate is because it's harder to change. You know, that's, uh, that's like the sad reality of it. It's more difficult to change because we live within a system that consumes that change. Like through your active consumption, you are reproducing the system. So every time you try to change the system, it wishes and it desires to have you keep consuming so it consumes your change. 
So even when, you, when you're trying to create change, you are still forced to consume and then you are still forced to reproduce the system. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense, right? So if we, get, if we begin seeing that the system or the political in this sense is what produces the individual or our concept of the personal or the individual, then we realize the personal has never really existed. The individual has never really existed. So it, I hope that part makes sense. It's, it's more so, I see, I see that expression of how the individual is created by the system as an important identifier for why we must look to change it. You know, it's, it's, I'm trying to think of a wording for this of where I want to take this. You know, it's like, it's like, hmm. as individuals, we, you know, this, I don't think it's like a hot take. It's more so this idea that we, we create personas, right? We, we identify, we try to identify this sense of self, you know, um, and this, and what our culture has become fascinated with is this idea of true self. I think this is where this law of attraction shit is going to come in. This idea of like a true self and getting to an essence of a true self. But if we don't evaluate the systematic structures we have that create that self, there is never really a true self in there. It is simply a new persona, a new mask created by the system. And, and, and like, to be fair, I need to like backtrack that because that can be a scary thought. And this is where my bias comes into play. You know, let's, let's, let's use an example, like the example of, of God, of, of God and religion. Like for me, you know, the concept of God, I'm going to like do a very generalized explanation of this, but for me, the concept of God is very much, I think the best way to phrase it, God is unconscious. God is unconscious in the sense that we, we become expressions of an interpretation of what God is. But God, the concept, is unconscious. It's, the concept is indifferent. You know, this, this essence of consciousness, I think is a way to phrase it, is this unconscious part. You know, maybe, maybe this is connecting. I don't know if this properly connects some kind of, this is one of those moments where I'm, trying to connect ideas in my head here where it's like the concept of Lacan's, uh, the real, you know, it's this, this uncertain, like once you get close to it becomes more and more uncertain and you can never truly get to the true essence of the real because the true essence of the real of what is of that real, that place that, that is what is considered the real doesn't actually exist. No, that's a bad way to phrase it. It's not that it doesn't exist. It's a, there is there is no true essence of it because once you try to create a true essence of it, you cease to be at what is the real. And that is what 
for me personally, for what, what it means for me to, to say God is simply unconscious. Now from that, I think people try to create interpretations of that state, but as soon as you try to create the interpretation of that state, you cease to, you try to make it, you may try to make the unconscious conscious, but doesn't mean that when you make the unconscious conscious, that you're getting at anything more real, that you're actually creating something that is pure truth, that is the truth. Because once you try to make the, because like the unconscious, that unconscious state is for me is very rhizomatic. That concept of God is very rhizomatic. It's just the state of what is, a state of, of what is uh, part of reality. And for me, that, that's a peaceful thought, that there's no being in the sky that is controlling everything. That is like the simplistic version. But there's also no like necessarily ultimate truth or ultimate essence that is necessary or becomes necessary and deterministic of, of our will. Like we have influence on our will in some sense, Right. I think that is like an important key. I think that's like an important thought I want to follow up on. Uh, Because it gets at this idea that the unconscious is very rhizomatic. But like people, we, we tend, and that's where I bring in God and a traditional concept of God, is I think people want to to make the unconscious conscious in the sense of making it a hierarchical system. So instead of a rhizomatic root system, it becomes a tree-based root system. And that tree-based root system is hierarchical in the sense that you there is a foundational truth that you are trying to get to. But when you do that, when you make the tree of knowledge, when you make the tree of knowledge that is truth, what you end up doing is through that hierarchical system of truth, you end up re-embracing the established system that we already have. It doesn't, it doesn't allow it to evaluate itself. Even when you think you're doing an act of rebellion, it still embraces it. You know, look at, look at the political, look at back to the political using a confrontation or a, a hot, uh, maybe a little bit of a dividing example. It's like people that would see Trump as a person going against the system. You know, it's like through their truth became this idea that Trump was an act against the system. But Trump was just mirroring all the ideas that they desired. They were, he was mirroring their desires. And through that mirroring of their desires, it was just a reestablishment of the system or a slight offshoot of creating a system that they desire, but the system still consumes that desire. It still re-embraces itself. Like you still won't escape the the nature of production in the capitalistic system, for example. Like I said, this is not me. I'm not making a value judgment on what a system should or should not do. I'm simply saying how I think the system reestablishes itself. Um, but also how I think rebellion against the system, against the status quo is important because it helps change the narrative and thus helps possibly gives you a chance, even if it's unlikely, to alter the system in some sense and hopefully for the better or just simply have change. Um, yeah, so and, – and that's where like back to the kind of the religious point and the unconscious – making the unconscious conscious through this desire for a hierarchical system of truth and a hierarchical system of knowledge – 
that's what religions do, you know, like take a traditional Christian, the idea of Christian faith, the idea of a Christian God of like heaven and hell, you know, it's, you, uh, <laughs> you, you listen to some creators, some Christian creators online nowadays, they act like they're like fighting this war against like some supernatural evil that is, you know, they would probably consider some of my ideas that I'm even expressing in this episode as some form of evil. It's like some parasitic evil that is, entered my mind, right? It's this like narrative they created that they're fighting this war. All while in the sense of they're fighting this war where like God has anointed them, the warriors in this war against the evil that is caused by the devil in our society. The devil has influenced me, right? And then they they see that as like God has anointed them. So then anything that good that happens to them, I was anointed by God. Anything bad that happens, oh, the devil has won out. It is the devil's fault. It's this very like narcissistic tendency of God. But like, and how I want to connect this, or there's like an important connection there. Uh, it's still like this this way. I don't even know how I'm going to connect that thought. That was kind of an offshoot thought. Now that I think about it more, <laughs> maybe I just wanted to express that. But I still just think that's like a that's a way that people embrace a status quo. You know, that is a status quo system that we have about what is like what it is to be truly human and what it is to be truly in an individual self. It embraces like the system has already consumed that idea, you know. I don't think it's, you know, a crazy coincidence that the super religious often, you know, they vote a certain way, typically, not all the time. But I think that says something. I don't know exactly what it says, and I don't know if I want to get into that this episode, but it's not the point. Um, but anyway, uh, to conclude, I want to like get into a couple of these clips because I'm sure that will help me conclude some of my thoughts on this. Uh, but yeah, let's go with the first one. Because I want to talk about this where I want to like add a little clarifier before I even play it is because like in that, in that plastic pills episode I mentioned, which I'm going to link, he, he really focuses in on the idea of like how it's seen, like how the universe works in getting you what you want or how, or what you desire is like kind of this, this magic, but the system we I don't we we often wanted to dismiss how the system is connected to the system is connected to all things just like we are connected to all things just like it's connected to the universe so just how the system is creating and influencing your desire and and what you desire for your understanding of yourself uh i hope that part makes sense but I know this episode, I feel like I'm kind of repeating myself. I hope someone, I hope you find this valuable. Maybe I'll make this a bonus episode. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's play this one and then see where my thoughts go. The universe doesn't give you what you want. The universe gives you who you are. People misunderstand that. Mm. They think the law of attraction is being obsessed with what you want. But no, if you want something, it doesn't mean you're going to get it. The universe will reflect to you what you are. And Beckwith calls this the law. Okay. I forgot I picked this clip. Oh, it's so good in a in the worst way. 
So, okay, like the law of attraction. We're not going to get into like what the law of attraction exactly is, but let's take his words. The universe doesn't give you what you want. It gives you what you are. But the question is, is where do you get what you are? You know? And part of like the, the difficulty of this conversation is I think we often... We, I'm skeptical often to how quickly do I want to take off the mask and not, and not like some fucking like sense of like, Oh, I take off the max and mask and get to the truth. It's not that because when you take off the mask, you just have another mask. Like once you get close to the real or get to that, the depths of like a truth of the unconscious you, you end up creating a narrative from that, a new persona, a new mask. We do that like all across the board, like systematically as well. You know, it's like I, I brought up, I, I'm going to connect this to this. I think I, I brought up the bipolar disorder and they increased that, you know, it's like, okay, someone goes, it's no secret that a large portion of our population doesn't like their job, their nine to five job. Right. So you're at work and if you don't like your job, you probably create a persona to keep yourself sane at said job, right? So then you leave work and you have this influence of feeling like, oh, finally, I'm I'm off, I'm off work. I'm finally done with that bullshit. That type of thing. You know, what what do we think that does to the sense of self and the psyche? So we end up creating these masks, right? But that's like the the difficulty is, is and and I didn't I I just realized I need to backtrack. I don't mean to simplify uh, bipolar disorder to simply mean that oh it's caused by the nine to five. That is not what I was saying. It was more so saying this this how the system might cause this bipolarity of the psyche of the self how we cannot how we find difficulty to position ourselves in the system which can then cause like the the mental health issues around that where our sense of self is constantly being fucked with and then we're constantly also being told oh you need to find your like oh you're having problems in life you just need to find your fucking true self you know that idea I think that's what I'm trying to I'm trying to get at with this. So when you hear the, like the law of attraction, the universe doesn't give you what you want; it gives you what you are. It makes it seem as though like, oh, if you're not getting what you want, then what you are is 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 the problem. It's fucked up, you know. It's like it's a, it's on you. It goes back to the individual. That form of law of attraction, that phrasing that this guy used, this law, this idea that there is some law. It's not. It's not just. It's not just an idea. It's not just an idea for the universe. It's a law of the universe, an established order, a systematic hierarchical system of order that if you just simply learn to learn the law, you can make your way up the hierarchy of the system. That is what it's trying to say. You know, and they all, and and that's like what fascinates me about the world of spirituality is at its essence, it wants to present itself as though it's getting to some central core of truth. That if you just learn their ways, you will get to the central core of the truth of the universe, the hierarchy. 
and you can get whatever you want in life, whatever you want, whatever you desire. You just need your true self and you just need to position your true self in relationship to the universe. But what, based on this conversation, I, I, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, because like, this, like this, ah, man, because what that's doing is it's telling you maintain the status quo, reestablish the system. Do not evaluate too closely. Do not unmask the fucked up things you see in society. No, no, no. It doesn't want you to do that. It wants you to embrace the universe. But the way we perceive the universe and the way we perceive our society is, is connected. It's part of that same system. It's very, I don't think we can just simply you know, divide that system. It's connected to our essence of consciousness, our experiences, our, you know, our system, our political system. It evaluates, it it, it creates your sense of self. So this idea that you have this true self is, is simply a new mask. It wants you to embrace that mask of a true self. And that, and that's where I'm like getting, I'm not making a value judgment. I want to make that clear. You know, I've made the value judgment for myself but someone listening, I'm, you know, that's where I don't, my content isn't like it used to be where, uh, you know, if, if, how do I phrase this? I don't hate everything about spirituality. I think that is something important to say. It's just these moments of where it feels like it gets into like narcissistic behavior is when I have a problem, you know, it, it really, it shames other people. But if someone has like a spiritual practice or a religious practice or a ritual, that allows them to find peace in this world. I'm not going to always like, you know, be, we, I've made my choices on how I want to evaluate the system and deny the system in some sense. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with that thought process. This episode's getting too long. <laughs> uh, I'm more so just like talking about how these ways of interpreting things have influence on people and the effects on their psyche and how they feel about themselves. Uh, and sometimes we, I think we need to face difficult things and sometimes we need to face the difficult reality of we need to find a way to change the system. And I don't know how to do that necessarily. And I think it might be a losing battle from the start, but sometimes I think maybe I need to do it anyway. And I try to motivate myself all the time to possibly try to do that in the best way I can. You know, doing dumb shit like this, volunteering, I don't know, something. Doing, I need to do something and find a way for the system not to just consume my new narrative or something. I don't know. But it's also getting late and not completely sober. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so like I said, about the law of attraction, it's, it's, it's this idea of like telling you to embrace the system by using this special language and the language that they're using is this kind of universality of the universe and how there's this established order of the universe and then that's how you can get what you want. But the system is what establishes where you get what you want. And then the system wants to tell you that there is some established human nature around that system. But I think a co- like it's not even a hot take anymore. I think a main theme that we need to kind of understand is that human nature is not given you know, it's perpetually evolving. And that's like a thing that Charles Darwin agreed with, you know. I know it's a very critical theory-esque take, but it's perpetually evolving. That's what human nature is. There is no 
divine essence necessarily or established essence of human nature. It's a it's an evolving nature that evolves with this constant influence of things that we won't understand. You know, so when we try to establish this thing like, oh, the universe has this law of attraction, that's how you get what you want, I think it becomes problematic. Very problematic in a lot of sense because it it puts blame on the individual and prevents you from uh, from evaluating the status quo. So people that are expressing that use of a law of attraction, especially in this way, they're just telling you to embrace the system. And I'm also acknowledging that I'm someone that's telling you don't do that. Uh, but that's for you to decide. I don't want to do that. Um, I'm hoping for change. Maybe I'm just still too young. I don't fucking know. But, uh, yeah, let's go, uh, let's go to the other video. I think that's kind of, the guy said what he wanted. I wanted to use this other one because it kind of already harps on what I've been talking about. All right, let me break this down for you. This is really important information if you're into this kind of stuff. (laughs) I am. So I'm going to make this very simple for you. And what I'm about to share with you is true. Hold up. Where's my mic though? Okay. There are two worlds, my friends. There's the physical world that you see with your physical eyes. And then there's an entirely different world that you can't see with your physical eyes. This other world is the truest reality. The physical world is an illusion. And I'll get to that in a moment. This other world is always trying to get your attention. It is whispering to you throughout the day without exception. It's trying to get you to link up with it. Because when you're in alignment with this other world, everything in your life happens effortlessly. You're peaceful inside. You're joyful. You're abundant. Ah, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I really want to hope. I hope I can conclude what I've been trying to say this whole episode. Okay, do you see that language there? Because, like, the fucked up thing. Like, I've, I've been in this space. I have done the rituals of this spiritual space because I found it fascinating, and I still fucking do. But it's fascinating to see the new uses of language to just find new ways to 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 allow ourselves to pretend like we are rebelling against the system. But in reality, you are embracing the status quo. You're saying there is nothing wrong here. It's fine. My established, my uh, assumed truth in this episode is that the system we have is fucked up. It is not good and great. It needs improvement. It needs changing. You know, the world the world is showing that to us constantly. The younger our our younger generation is seeing that and observing that and is has these like nihilistic tendencies about it. You know, they feel that despair. Right? Let's let's that is the established thing. And I know I'm assuming that you can, someone can disagree with that or not. I don't know. I don't, I don't know of that many groups of people that are like, everything that's going on is hunky dory. Great. I don't think that's a common, especially listening to this, but do you see that language? 
this guy, I've, I've done content on this guy, Phil Goodlife, in the past, and I've fucking hated on him in the past. But he's getting at this idea that he has found some divine truth. And this is where maybe, like, my interpretation of, like, the language used in, like, even, like, critical theory from people like Deleuze to Lacan to Baudrillard, uh, who else recently I've been reading even uh, Mark Fisher, these, it's just like, like my interpretation of what he is saying is I take this as a reality that Mr. Phil Goodlife that you just heard speak, I think he was getting close to something that I like would, I would say Lacan would identify as the real. He identified the real and they wanted to never remember what is the real again. And the real, like I'm saying, I'm going to say is like, imagine the real as like the abyss or the void. And I don't even know if that's like not a perfect analysis of it, but for the sake of this episode, I'm going to probably kind of somewhat leave it there. Uh, or this, this un- complete, complete, utter uncertainty of your essence. But the, the, the idea is that you can never get truly there. So then you kind of just block it down and put it back down deep in your psyche and deep into your subconscious. You know, you try to make it unconscious, but you can't ever make it really unconscious because it's always kind of lurking in, in my in my opinion. But from that, you get an interpretation. You create an interpretation of truth, of what you experienced. And I think that's where these kind of spiritual practices connect with this. It, it evaluate, it, it forces you, like some people use, when I talk about spiritual spaces, some people using like psychedelic substances, meditative practices, ritualistic practices, like ayahuasca is super popular. You got like one of the best NFL quarterbacks with the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, uh, fucking talking about taking ayahuasca. Like these things are becoming more public facing. And I'm probably going to do more on this in another episode because I just realized where I was going with this thought and I want to dive deeper into that. But for this episode, I want to keep it shorter. We're seeing this usage of this like kind of psychedelic usage and ritualistic usage and meditative and mindfulness bullshit uh, for the evaluation of the self and finding your true self. But the, the evaluation of the true self, it doesn't evaluate how the system influences the self or doesn't want to use that language because then it would call into question the true self that you just so-called discovered. It would question the mask of the self. You know, it would force you to look back at the symbolic order, the symbolic order being the, the language, I would say like in this sense, like the language usage that we have, um, the language we use to create uh, the self. And, th- and this can be like things that we consume. Like we use symbolism to derive, to drive our desires and what we consume. You know, it derives our desires. That's what symbols kind of do too. So we have this symbolic order, this order of things, this big other that influences us. Now back to Phil Goodlife when he brought up how, oh, there's like the fake illusion, illusion physical. And then there's like this essence this unspoken essence that is something more true and where your true self is. It's like this consciousness essence. But for me, and I think what a lot of people 
but also seeing more through a critical theory lens and what like Deleuze and Guattari would see is it is a, I don't know, I, I shouldn't ascribe to what I'm about to say to Guattari and Deleuze. I don't know if they would actually say this. Uh, it's, it's a way of feeling as though you got to special knowledge about yourself. Like Phil Goodlife, the way he speaks, he acts as like a teacher of these like spiritual practices and that he has like some special connection to the universe. I've listened to some of his content. Uh, so that's how he positions his sense of self as though he has this like ability to read this true essence and messaging of this place that he's talking about. Right. But it's just a way to reestablish that true self in an embrace of the system. It's an embrace of the status quo. But what, as you can like hear him talk, he acts as though he is helping raise the consciousness of the public. He's helping, you know, raise the vibration. He's helping you. Uh, get to your true sense of peace. But like when he talks about when you when you look at it through that lens, his sense of peace, his sense of of oh like oh you're at a state of peace. Uh, just getting you the individual at a state of peace. It's your responsibility to find your true self and get to peace. It is your responsibility to do that. It is your responsibility to tap into this other realm. But to me, all the realm the the idea of there an other realm is just created. It's all connected to the one, one thing. It's all connected. No ultimate truth is just this constantly evolving thing. It's a constantly evolving, changing truth. But the truth is there. It's just constantly changing. So it it puts the onus on you to do that, to find your peace. But all you got to do is simply look internally on the individual. It's putting responsibility on the individual. Look internally to evaluate yourself, and then you'll get there. That's all you got to do. Just do that, and then then you'll get it. But it's the embrace of the status quo. It's embrace of the system. The system that is already influencing you. The system that is influencing the words of feel good life right now. The persona that he has, the brand that he has is being influenced by the system. It is driving his desires. And it's dangerous to fucking evaluate the system in this way. It really, it can be. Like, I'm not going to dismiss that. It's not necessarily a great thought all the time. Um, but I do think it's an important one, which is why I'm talking about it. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of where I somewhat want to conclude today. I don't know if I let him talk more, but I, I think that gets to the point of what I was trying to say with like even cyberpunk, the influence on the self, you know, it's, it's, we need to identify the language that is attempting to become rebellion but it's really just gets reconsumed by the system and loses its messaging. You know, like an example of Phil Goodlife, he's using this very spiritual, like all the, there's a reason I think spiritual people in the, the spiritual community uses a similar language. They have this like cult of spirituality. And, and this is also saying cult in the sense of like, everyone's kind of somewhat in a cult. I'm even technically in somewhat in one. I don't think that's really avoidable necessarily that's a topic for a different day but uh they use similar language and it's like this language is a call out it's a call out to people that are part of the group to which just reestablishes the status quo of that group 
you know, and position yourself within the system. So there's like changes within the system, but look at stuff like law of attraction. Like everyone nowadays is trying to be like a fucking life coach, creating courses and, you know, go viral and then create a career out of that by being a self-help coach and acting like your life's all together, that whole thing. You know, they, from that, you have to create a persona to act as though you're all healed up when in reality, you're probably running from the fact that that persona, that mask is made up. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't want this episode to feel like a fucking downer. Fuck. <laughs> I hope it doesn't feel like a downer. I don't mean it to be. I enjoy the attempt of acting against the status quo. Uh, I hope some of my wording was an act of rebellion against the status quo. Maybe I'm just full of shit and blowing smoke. I don't fucking know. Uh, maybe, you know, it could, could be true. I could sound like a complete dumbass to some people. Uh, everything I said might not make sense to some people. It might not even make sense to me, you know, but I think there is commentary here on one, the importance of cyberpunk. That is a th- key thing I do want to have as a takeaway. Because, you know, I, I want to bring, help bring punk back. You know, it's it's the things that have even are, are seen as rebellious have become trendy so fast. They're not even fucking, they don't really evaluate, the system consumes it so fast. And that's not always a bad thing. I don't want to mean that either. You know, we need a status quo in some sense, but we also need ways to go against it in a healthy manner. And I think we are lacking in the ability to go against the system in a healthy manner, which in the, even in using that language feels like I'm embracing it too much. So anyway, I, I'm getting t- <laughs> tired. Uh, I'm going to close off this one. This was kind of a longer one. I wasn't expecting it to be this long, but I hope you enjoyed this and found something useful. But as always, thank you for listening. But it's time for you to get the fuck out my lab. Right now.